welcome to Battleground, whether you're watching online or you're here with us. John 21 is where we are this morning. As I got Micah to look it up this week, we started the Gospel of John in May of 2020, and a year and a half later, and uh, and a lot of, as I've thought about that, I wonder if you think about a year and a half, think about how much life has happened in your life's in the last year and a half. Um, this has been God's Word that has guided us through the events of our very life. Uh, some of them really good, some of them very traumatic. Uh, Forty plus sermons. Here we are at John 21. Always a, both a happy day and a sad day when you finish a book because we won't come back and preach John, the Gospel of John again. We'll keep moving through all of Scripture. Uh, and so in the storyline today, the climax has culminated. This is, as it was, a prologue of John's gospel. And he chooses to tell us about sort of, I would call, breakfast on the beach after a night of getting skunked fishing. <laughs> right? After all that, uh, the way John could have ended, this is where we are. So let's just get to the heart of it this morning. Stand with me. I'm going to read John 21 verses 15 to 19, just so we can hear this conversation between Jesus and Peter after breakfast. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the very words of God. Lord, as we come to you today and finish out this beloved gospel from your beloved brother John. Lord, there's been a, a lot of life happened since we started this book. And some of it wonderful, some of it challenging, and some of it frustrating. Lord, we come here today with both our victories and our defeats, our frustrations, our discouragements, our confusions, our fear. We bring them all to, with us today and we lay them down here, Lord. We have gathered and we have laid it all in front of you for you know all, just like you knew Peter. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would comfort your people through your word today, that we would leave with a resolve to finish our race by faith. Speak to your people through your word 
by your spirit for your glory so that we may be part of your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So we might as well be able to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. There are times in our life to where we feel like though we are trying to follow Christ, we still feel like a failure about 80% of the time. We've obeyed by faith and perfectly. But this obedience sometimes has led to a season of confusion. It is because oftentimes the results were less than we expected and the cost was higher than we can imagine. Sometimes nobody told us that following the Lord by faith was going to be this way. The, what the Lord has done in these seasons has revealed sometimes the very object of our faith. The principle in Christian life is John fifteen five. It says, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we experience these seasons of frustrations, they serve a purpose. And of course, you can't see what they are. Sometimes they're days and sometimes weeks, sometimes years. We can feel like we're sort of like the disciples did by the, at, at, in Galilee after the resurrection, Jesus has appeared, and what's next? So, like, what do we do? You ever wonder how the disciples are sitting there talking? It's like, what do we do now? I mean, we've left all to follow him, and now he's appeared to us, but what's next? We can feel just like them. I oftentimes... And if you feel, if you're honest, you would too. I, I sometimes feel like a failure as your pastor. A failure as a father, as, a, as Christina's husband. So he longs to teach us all something this morning. That our confidence must not be in our own strength, or our, our own version of what success looks like in life or ministry, but in his sovereign power and in his promises. John has taught us Something all through this. But he has culminated in verses 13 to 17. Jesus is with his disciples. And the world, is, so to speak, is gone. And he is just preparing. He's pouring into these guys because he's about to die. And for verse 13 to 17, he prepares them. In verse chapter 17, he prays for them and he prays for us. And in chapters 18 and 19, you remember, chronicles his arrest his crucifixion, his betrayal. Chapter 20 is the, is the climax of John's gospel. It, it shows us the resurrected Lord rising in victory. And then chapter 21, story about fishing. You know, it's like, it's like somebody just add that on at the end. It seems like that's not exactly the best way to end this. But for John, remember he's teaching us something theological. It is exactly, it is a day in the life of the disciples after Jesus was resurrected. What now? Where do we go from here? The lesson is, you can't do what's after this on your own.
It's going to be hard, brothers. There's a mission, and I'm not going to be here physically anymore. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have the ability, nor the resources, nor the wisdom. Therefore, follow me. Main idea is on your paper. Jesus teaches the disciples that following means he is Lord of our everyday lives, our ministries, and our futures. There's no greater question we can then ask as we come to the close of the Gospel of John. And what does it mean to follow Christ? I meet every week with Chris Parker who preaches at Walnut Grove. We are, we are preaching through the same text this morning. He asked the question this way. What does it mean to follow Christ as Lord? I think that's a good ad. Peter is the object lesson. Thomas was last week. Peter's through the whole story. He is our object lesson. Sometimes Peter has been the object lesson for what not to do. And sometimes for what we should do. Peter's got a little bit of a problem with arrogance, doesn't he? He's a bold rascal. So while we all can see a little bit of ourselves in Peter. Sometimes he's careless. We love to grab people like Peter and David and focus on their failures. In reality, what we're saying is we see a lot of ourselves in people like Peter and David. No disciple thought so much of himself as Peter did. Everything he did, he did with confidence. John 13 is just one place of many. Verse 8, you remember, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter, and what does Peter say? Uh-uh. No way you're going to wash my feet. No, sir. No, sir. Not today. Jesus says, well, then you will have nothing to do with me. And then what did he say? Then you just wash me all over. It's Peter. Doesn't matter whether he's doing it right or doing it wrong. He's doing it in front of everybody. Verses 36 to verse 38 of John 13. It's the famous where he says, Jesus, I'll follow you even to death. Notice the, it's the I, it's not we. He's not focused on other disciples. Just himself and what he can accomplish and what he is going to do and how he is going to follow. And we know how that turned out. So there's some lessons, <laughs> life lessons that Peter has already learned. But there's still one more he must learn. If he is to be used by God, he must learn, ain't about you, big boy. That's a grace-filled lesson. One of the quotes that's been in my mind all week as I studied this is a book called The Bruised Reed. I would recommend it. I've got some out there in my recommended books. It's by a Puritan named Richard Sibbs. He said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. It's a good word. It's a good word to remember. Jesus, is, if we haven't got it already, let us remember Jesus is Lord of our lives. Of our everyday lives. Let's pick up in the story. Look at verses 1 to 3. John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. 
they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they have returned to Galilee. And you know this to be true. There's nothing like going home. Whether your home is an is a actual house or whether it's your hometown, you know that if you've lost your parents, you can go somewhere and you can smell something that's cooking and it reminds you of that meal you used to eat back in that day and it feels like home. We love to go home when we don't know what to do. But Jesus has told them to go to Galilee, remember? Before he died, he said, I will go before you to Galilee. And then the angels reiterated that in the Gospel of Mark. And so they have went back home. This was where in the mountains the Sermon on the Mount was preached. This was home where their base camp for their ministry, where it all started. It was in those waters that Jesus said, you're going to be fishes of men. They're home. What are they going to do now? What is life going to look like now? Why did they go fishing? Because they were fishermen. This is an important life lesson. And as far as I can tell, it's an absolute one. When we do not know what to do in life, we will always do what we know how to do. Let me say that again. When we do not know what to do in life, we will always do what we know how to do. And they knew fishing. So that's what they did. And just like in Thomas's life this week, Jesus the merciful shows up. He's not recognized. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, so it was, dawn was just starting to peer over the horizon. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You ever tried to do something relaxing and it just got you more frustrated? I like to cut wood. I've got a couple of chainsaws. I had a small one. I just had, you know, bought a rebuild kit and rebuilt it. And I even bought a new thing for the side with a pull cord on it. All that was new, but it just wasn't running right. I was going to adjust the carburetor a little bit. So I went out there. I didn't have much time. And I like to go outside and do anything. I pulled that thing the first time. What happened? The cord. So needless to say... <laughs> I got more to fix now on the chainsaw than just the cord. Because you know what happens when something won't crank. I'm sitting there going. That's what happened to them. They were fishing. They, did, they did, went fishing because they knew how to do that. And even though they thought they knew how to do it, they didn't catch anything. And from the bank, a voice comes. It's really in the original language written as a negative. Have you not caught anything? She says, no. So there's a very little simple thing here that you don't want to miss. There is a question, there is a command, and there is a promise. Have you caught anything? No. Well, cast your nets on the other side. Obedience. You'll catch something. Promise. 
this little obedience by faith, even though they didn't know who it was, they obeyed and they could not pull in the nets. You see a little bit of a life lesson here for following Christ. It's not about our abilities. We need Christ's wisdom. We need His instructions. And listen, this is important for me and maybe for you. We need to wait on Him and not just stay busy. Busyness is the idolatry of our age. And so, when the nets begin to fill up, the light comes on for John. Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garments, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Or as Brother Mike said in the King James, he was naked. I don't know why he was fishing in his skivvies, but he was. He was stripped for work. That was just the way it was. Notice John sees and responds, it's the Lord. Peter does what? He hears that it's the Lord. And what does he do? Jumps in the water. That's, do you see the difference between these two men of God that both of them are going to be used? They don't respond the same way. Notice you don't put your clothes on to jump in the water. That's exactly what he did. Why did he put his clothes on? Because he jumped in the water to go towards his Lord. Now do you see the difference between Thomas and Peter? Nobody has blown it worse than Peter. Peter's denied publicly the Lord. Peter remembers, first time I saw and had an encounter with Jesus, I said, I shrunk back and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And now, even in the midst of his blowing it, what does Peter do? He longs to draw near to his Lord, but he dares not do it without clothing himself. There is both a dependence and there is a reverence. And Jesus invites them all to the table. Table looks like a campfire. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A.W. Pink says it this way, Even in his resurrected glory, he was not unmindful of their physical needs. Ever thoughtful, ever compassionate for his own, the Savior here showed up his toiling disciples that he cared for their bodies as well as their souls. Philippians four nineteen, you know it. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. This third appearance was purposeful, you see. He did this on purpose. Just like he showed up in Thomas's life. He showed up that second time in that closed room on purpose. He had a purpose for this encounter. It was to take the load off of Peter. To restore him. There was something in Peter's life that was robbing him of his joy and his peace. He had blown it. 
Can you hear the words of the Lord? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will promise, you will find rest for your souls. Is your soul at rest? The promise for those who believe is that out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. John 7, 37 and 38. So we dare not miss this this morning. In times of fear and confusion, in the deserts of our life, resist the desire to stay busy, but instead seek the Lord through prayer. Seek Him through gratefulness. Seek Him through singing. Seek Him through meditating on His Word. Even if you must force feed yourself, you must wait on the Lord. You must seek the Lord because He desires to dine with you. He loves you. He desires for you to have peace and rest. And He desires to put you back on His mission because He created you for that. That's where the glory is. That's where the joy is. Jesus is Lord of our life. And He is Lord of our ministry. And you might say, hold on a second. You started preaching to the preachers. Ministry. Word in the Bible just means serving. It's not really a title. It's an action. Ministry is serving the Lord in His work, in His way, in His strength according to His direction and for His glory. And it doesn't look the same in your life as it does mine. But it's all ministry. How dare we say, I'm a woman so I can't minister. I'm an old person so I can't minister. I'm a child so I can't minister. God created you for ministry. He created you to serve Him. That's where the peace, that's where the joy is. But listen... We do not work for our joy. We work from our joy. We do not work for our peace. We work from our peace. Jesus arranges this encounter on the coast in front of a campfire not to shame Peter, but to restore him. Can you imagine with me? You're at that fire and and you're Peter and you're eating breakfast and there is this eerie silence between the chomps of fish. And, and you remember the last time you stood in front of a fire. Last time he stood in front of a fire, he denied his Lord in front of God and everybody three times. And on that third time, you remember Jesus looks at him. Sometimes the best way forward is to look backwards. Sometimes if you are stuck, if you are discouraged, if you are frustrated with what God has called you to do and to be, you need to remember that day when you blew it and God came and was merciful and restored you. You need to remember that day. And then we move forward Because Jesus the merciful has promised to always show up in our life. You could boil this down to this statement. Peter, if you love me, take care of my people. This includes both a restoration and a commissioning. 
Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There is in every question, restoring grace and a commissioning for ministry. Do you love me? What he's asking him is, Peter, you have said this in front of these men. That you love me more than all of them. That if everybody else walked away, you would follow me. But do you love me more than these? He sinned publicly. He was rebuked publicly. A principle in the Bible. Many have made a big deal here, and I just want to mention this. That Jesus is, in the original language, is saying... um, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter is responding, Yes, Lord, I phileo you. So that God's love and a friendship love. They've made a lot of sermons around that point. But all of my study this week, in, in many places in Scripture, agape and phileo is oftentimes used interchangeably and is not the point of this passage. John gives us the point of this passage. Jesus says it. Three times. And that third time, Peter was grieved because he remembers that he denied him three times. That Jesus told him that it was going to happen. And that him and his arrogance didn't think it was even possible. But here they sit in front of a fire. Do you love me? Peter's ministry, you see. Listen. Peter's ministry must be driven by his love for Christ above all things, including his own fear and including his own arrogance. This is the lesson. The commissioning comes all through there. You see the words. These are verbs. It's not saying, I am going to pronounce you to be the Pope. Or the pastor with the fancy robe and dangling cross around your neck. No, I'm calling you to do something, Peter. To tend. To feed. Not to hold an office or a title or a position. Word tend means to shepherd. You're going to care for my people. You need to feed my people. Don't miss this. It's the principle of God's church. The church belongs to God. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to the elders. And it doesn't belong to you. We are congregationally led and we always will be. But the church belongs to God. He's the head of the church. He's the one. They're His sheep. You see that? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
But our ministry is motivated by a love for Christ first and then a love for His people. Do you love me? Peter, preeminently. Then love my people. There is an order. (laughs) There's also a diet. Did you know that the church needs to be on a strict diet? I have learned about this now. Don't tell anybody. I went to a fish fry last night. I think I ate my salt intake for the next six months. Woke up in the middle of the night, had to get up and get some water. I was like, how much salt do they... I'm, I'm still thirsty. Sitting there thinking, going, I don't, have, I don't have any water. No salt for me. Right? I'm on a strict diet. No substitute will do for a healthy diet. You can eat all the vitamins you want, but if you eat McDonald's, you are going to be unhealthy. In the same way, God's people is meant to be on a strict diet of Scripture. And if you feed them anything else, they'll be unhealthy. We need men and women who will declare God's Word to people. I am not the only one who's supposed to stand up here and declare God's Word. You're supposed to declare it as you go, wherever you go. You are there where you are to, con- to love people and to declare God's Word to people. They must hear God's Word. It is the only thing that makes God's sheep grow. It is the only thing that can both confront and restore, just like Jesus has just done to Peter. Peter gets this. For he writes in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Who is good? The Lord is good. Not what he gives you. Not what we can do for him. He is good. So after breakfast, if you look at the context, it seems as this is what's happening. That... Peter and Jesus go for a walk, and John is following along behind them. And here we come to a very important third point. Jesus is Lord of our future. He's Lord of our future. He is Lord of our life. He is Lord of our ministries. He is Lord of our future. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you. Now this is Jesus talking to Peter. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and you, you walk wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, John comments, this is to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. So what did Jesus just say to Peter? Peter, your future involves a horrendous death by crucifixion. But follow me. We know that in A.D. 64, Nero would crucify Peter. Just like Jesus said. Now, if you do your math, that means that Peter lived the next 30 years with the cross hanging over his head. How did he do that? 
You think you got a reason to be anxious? <laughs> Could Peter live the rest of his life wandering up around every corner was across there? How did he do it? We'll get to that. <laughs> but we love Peter because Peter's just Peter. You don't have to worry about what Peter's thinking. Look at verse 21. Peter's, and Peter saw him, Peter saw him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So what's just happened? John's following along behind him, and Jesus just said, Peter, your life of following me is going to be hard, but follow me anyway. And what does Peter do? Well, what about him? <laughs> right? Come on, you've done it too. Well, well, what about him? My life's going to be hard. What about him? Here's a common mistake in the Christian life, isn't it? It's a common mistake in your life. It's a common mistake in the pastor's life. It's a common mistake in church's life that we expect everyone's experience to following Christ to be exactly the same. And they're not the same. So can I give you the same advice that Jesus gave Peter? Mind your own business. That's what he told him. Now, don't take my word for it. Look what he says. Now, you tell me if this is not what Jesus was saying. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains, John remains, until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You see that? If you write in your Bible, underline the word you. You follow me, Peter. I'm talking to you. The Lord God has given each of us the job to do. And ultimately, what others do is none of your affair. God has called us to follow Him. He has designed a task for you. He has designed your abilities to accomplish that task. And He has come in a pathway of obedience towards that. And it doesn't look like the guy standing beside of you. How did Peter live the next 30 years with the cross over his head? How would he live every day knowing that the most excruciating form of death devised up to this point was waiting for him? He would live by faith that Jesus is Lord of his life. Lord of his ministry, and Lord of his future. This is the pathway to joy and abundant life. Not living with a plague over your head, but living by faith. So go with me now. I don't know of a better place to end our study than in Hebrews. So let us go to the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, and let us remember as we turn there. That Hebrews is full of two words, by faith, by faith, by faith. These heroes of the faith, one by one, are laid out the witness testimony. One after the other is laid forth. But you need to see something. This text has been important in our family's life. Hebrews 11 Look at verse 32. 
The whole chapter has been one of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. You need to keep that by faith in your head every time you read a person's name and what they went through. Verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. See the period? There's no break here. No change of focus. So let me include it so lest we forget. Some were tortured by faith, refusing to accept release so they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking by faith and were flogged by faith and even went to imprison, went to prison by faith, verse 37. They were stoned by faith. They were sown in two by faith. They were killed with the sword by faith. They went about with absolutely nothing by faith. They were destitute by faith, afflicted by faith, mistreated by faith. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains by faith. And in dens and caves of the earth by faith. Verse 39. All of these. All of these. Abraham, David, Isaiah, who was, according to tradition, the one that was sawn in two in a hollow log listed here simply for proclaiming the truth. All of those, including us, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why not? Why not? Why not now? Verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us. Us. You see that? Another place to underline. Us. That apart from us. We should not be made perfect. Here's the question. Will you follow Jesus as Lord? Listen. Listen. Will you follow Him as Lord, knowing that either one of these sides of list, of those who who conquered with the sword, and those who were killed by the sword, those who were resurrected by the power, and those who died for the name. And God may put your name on either side of the list, and He is sovereign, good, and wise to do it as He pleases. Do you want to follow Him by faith? This is the question. Because following Him means our priorities will be radically altered. It's what following Jesus means. It means that for the rest of my life, I am not serving myself. I am serving His bride. I am serving the church. Which includes your family those that he has brought into your family. Following Christ means that we forfeit our plans. Listen, to accomplish his plans 
for His mission through you. You see that? It's His plans. It is His mission. We are His representatives. We are the pipe, so to speak, the conduit by which His plans accomplish His ministry. This is not about me uh, nor my family, but this is just our testimony. Eight to ten years ago, life was comfortable. We went to a wonderful church, and Christina and I were approaching that season of life that many people called empty nest. God opened a door. And you see, when you ever notice when you open a door, it's not but so much you can see through that door. The question is, are you going to walk through the door by faith? Brothers and sisters, the last year and a half of your life is no accident. Last two years of your life, no accident. The Lord is asking us something. Can you live an abundant life in the midst of times of difficulty? Can I enjoy God when I am suffering? Can Christ be enough though all of life is a question mark or an exclamation point? Can Christ be enough for me in that season? And I pray that the response is a resounding yes. For He is risen. He is risen indeed. But here's the truth this morning. James Montgomery Boy says it this way. These are the ones who do the Christian work. Normal people, with all their failings we are heir to, not fictitious characters of superhuman faith and fortitude. Praise the Lord. That those that are in chapter 11, and those that are sitting here, and those that are watching online, we are just simple people. And praise the Lord, because that's exactly who He uses. And it is simple people willing to follow Him by faith and trust Him to design the journey that is best for them and best for God's glory and maximum for our joy and then follow it unashamedly by faith and trusting in Him. Whether it's a mountain or whether it's a bed of affliction, if my head will twist and my mouth will move, let us use it for His glory. That's your purpose today. If you're watching, you can't get out of the house. Put you in a bed of affliction so you might display Christ and lead other people to do the same. I hope you got your Bible still in Hebrews 12. And we'll close with this. Hebrews 12 verse 1. And remember we have just read the Hebrews of the faith and there's even us included in that. Therefore, Therefore, because of all of this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that He has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Consider Him. Who endured from, from sinners such hostility against Himself. 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen to me, beloved. We are part of the cloud of witnesses that our children one day will remember as the ones who lived and died by faith. You are the cloud of witnesses that one day children and grandchildren and friends and family will look back and say, that's what it looks like to live by faith. And that's what it looks like to die by faith. I don't know of you, but there is no more precious calling than to be that person on that day. It does not matter even whether your children are following Christ right now. We are called to finish the race, to be a testimony for the goodness of Christ in the land of the living. The question is, will we follow Him? Let's pray. Lord, we as your people, we're not worthy to spend the last year and a half studying through the Gospel of John. But you gave us this word so that we might richly enjoy it. And oh God, we have tried to wring it out like a sponge that we might not miss any of its goodness. And yet, Lord, we know that we could study it again for another year and a half and there would be more on the table. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the suffering for the last year and a half. The hard. Thank you for the deliveries and the protection. The mercy. Oh God, the mercy that you have given to those in this room and those watching online. And you say to each one of us today, You follow me. And so God forgive us. For wallowing around in our own self pity. As if the cross is not enough to forgive us. To restore us and to commission us. And Lord would you do that even now. Would your restoring loving grace kiss those on the cheek. Embrace those. Redeem those so that they would know afresh and anew it is you who are sovereign, not we. It is you who are goodness, capital G, and wisdom, capital W, and love, capital L, S, capital sovereign. And how good it is to know That you are our Father. And you're a good Father. And so Lord, we have but one thing we can give. Our life. And with that life, the gospel. And so Lord, let us follow you. Let us now respond to you, Lord. Through the singing from our lips. And from coming to the table. That we may... Remember the work of your Son. May we follow you into the world where we will get very little thanks in the pathway of obedience. 
but you have prepared something for us. And we will all receive it together one day. From Abraham to Peter to Thomas to us. We wait for that day, Lord. We long for that day. But until that day, Lord, may we run the race that you've given to us for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name, amen.